All right, welcome back, everybody, to Story Symbol Spirit, a podcast on how to make sense of scripture. My name is John McCambridge, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host. I'm Jackie Mitchell. I think you should go by Jackie May Mitchell. Jackie May. Because that's kind of that's more of like a Bible study name. Oh, do you think? Yeah, well, yeah it's you very be like, like Southern, like yeah. Jackie Mae Mitchell. And she started... writes like women's studies on Ruth, Jackie Mae Mitchell. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if you started talking with like a Southern accent and went by Jackie Mae, like... It'd be cool. That's my I alter I think there's ego. a market for that. Okay. Honestly. I'll look into it. We'll look, we'll check the analytics. We'll have Jared run the analytics and maybe we need to make a change. Maybe we'll have a guest host, Jackie Mae. Jackie Mae. <laughs> Next week. <laughs> you, but with a Southern accent. <laughs> we're not doing a video podcast yet, so there you go. How would people know? Uh, speaking of, good thing that we're not because we show up today and I'm wearing a big, like fluffy, what do you call one of these Sherpa? things? A Sherpa? That? Yeah. yeah. That looks like, really comfy. It's like a fuzzy sweatshirt situation. Mm-hmm. And you're wearing like a blazer. Well, I'm wearing it with jeans. Oh, well, I can't like, see that know. right now. It's well, it's like, you know. I thought you were in a full power suit. <laughs> Podcast <laughs> power suit. suit. And a blazer. Yeah. All right. Well, Jackie, last week we mentioned that you moved into a new house. Yeah. And so how is that going? Do you have furniture yet? Yeah. Yeah. For the most part. The main floor is good, but it's like a four level split level, if that makes sense. So it's like there's a little main floor. Mm-hmm. There's like a little like bedroom, like six decks up to the bedroom and then six steps down to the basement. But then under the basement, there's like the basement basement and that's unfinished. So it's just like weird. And I've only really gotten to one floor. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're like So like the main floor that people walk into, great. Mm -hmm. And then when people are like, can I get a tour of the house? I'm like, ooh. No. No, not yet. (laughs) (laughs) I I have some more painting to do and stuff. Yeah. So so here's here's a good question for anyone who's ever really moved and tried to like make a space their mm-hmm. own. What is your favorite like chore in that sense? So you mm-hmm. think about like painting, mm-hmm. furniture, you know, uh, whatever, <laughs> plumbing. <laughs> <laughs> plumbing. What, what, what's your favorite, what's your actual favorite thing to do? Like when you start mm-hmm. to mess with your space. I really like painting. You like to paint. Yeah. yeah. There's something satisfying about it, right? Yeah. I was talking about that with my friends. Like it's like immediate gratification mm. in a way that like a lot of other home projects and stuff aren't. Like yeah. you paint it and immediately that day it looks great yeah. and it's done. Yeah. The problem with painting is like all the, uh, the things that you need to do to ensure that you don't like paint. The rest of your house, yeah. So taping and then tarping. Yeah, I know. I do not have the patience for that. So I always get to a point where I'm like, that'll be fine. (laughs) And so so now there's like some spots of paint like on our carpet (laughs) in different places in our house because we painted our entire house uh, like over like the first, you know, 10 days that we moved in. Yeah. And so I would just come home from work and paint paint until I went to bed. (laughs) Yeah. And so like at first, you know, you start and you're very meticulous about it and you've got this process and it's good. And then at some point you just get impatient. <laughs> Whatever. Like, I just got to paint. I'm not tarping. <laughs> I'm done I'm with I'm not this. moving the tarp. I, I'll probably be fine. I'll be fine. Like I haven't gotten a lot of paint on the tarp. The tarp's like covered in paint. <laughs> and then, so now, so now there's some splatters yeah. in, our, in our house. Mm-hmm. But paint, but the gratification of painting. So fun. Like there's so very good. few things we do where like you get that. No, especially if you're painting stuff like we're painting stuff brighter and wider yeah. and instantly it feels like you can breathe better. Like it just feels like nice and clean in there. Yeah. It just feels so, so great. What's your least favorite thing? I don't want to unpack and hang all my clothes. I've oh, been like clothes, digging my clothes out of, mm. I, I've been, um, I unpacked like all of my like furniture and stuff, yeah. in, at least in the main rooms and stuff. I, I am still digging some stuff out of boxes. I don't want to mess with putting everything on a hanger. Actually, yeah. I struggle the most with laundry anyways, like as a main chore. That's mm. like my least favorite chore to do. I think that's Jenna's least favorite chore too. I cannot stand laundry. Yeah. 
Because it's always, you're never done with laundry. Right. So it's not even like when you clean the sink or you clean the kitchen. I love doing that. And then you're like done for a week and yeah. you can like enjoy it. Can't really enjoy like, I'm still wearing clothes and those clothes are dirty now. And don't you it's do like a cycle. Don't you, don't you do laundry once a week or do you do it more than that? Um, We'll do a load a couple times a week because okay. then I do like towels and sheets yeah. once a week. But maybe one or two throughout the. Yeah, we are. <laughs> like one thing about our house is that when we moved in, it's like the cheapest possible appliances you could get yeah. are what was there. So like the world's loudest, most ridiculous dishwasher. Yeah, that's the way ours is. It's the loud, I turned it on and I, mean, I thought we were getting, it was flooding I mean, the first it time like I turned it on. like a plane is taking <laughs> off. Uh, that's what our, ours is. Our stove, it's like an electric stove, which yeah. I would prefer a gas stove, but yeah. it an ele- it's an electric stove and it's just like, it's really hard to control the temperature of pans yeah. on that thing. So like I'm, I'm constantly like messing with it. And then our washer dryer is actually upstairs, mm. like, which is nice in a way because you don't have to take your clothes up and down to the basement. Yeah. But it's also bad because like if you have to like clean your, like the, the laundry duct, mm-hmm. you know, like you have to like get on a ladder outside and usually it's like, you know, it goes right outside your first floor. So, uh, and, and so our, our, our dryer does like not dry clothes. Oh my gosh. I mean, you hang it stuff is to dry? so slow. No, we just have to do like constant do like cycles. Twice. And so like, yeah. you know, we've cleaned the duct and we've tried like cleaned, obviously like clean the lint and try to get like, make sure it's like supposed to be, I think it's just a bad dryer. Yeah. And so Jenna hates laundry because instead of drying a load taking 90 minutes, it takes like three 90 minute yeah. cycles. So it's basically all weekend. She's taking clothes in and out, checking for dryness, you know, so she's, she gets like a little irritated. We, we should put a, a poll up on, I don't even know where, or just a verbal poll right now. Yeah. Please let us know what your least favorite chore. Raise your, your hand most, if you don't like. <laughs> if it's laundry, please let me know. We'd like to, we need to solve this issue. Yeah. Laundry's bad. I also don't like when I'm, so like basically the way that our relationship works, Jenna and I with uh, stuff like this is I move everything. Like I'm like the the power when you're moving in yeah, somewhere, like, yeah, like furniture, Josh, yeah, same. you know, hanging Josh, stuff. Yeah. But she sits there like like a general contractor. <laughs> I do the same. Tell, no, up, up down. down, over. Nope, nope, stop, stop, back a little bit, and that makes me so mad for some reason because it just feels like you're being bossed around. You know, so you kind of are, but so like I'm like sometimes you, know, you, you need it. You I don't know. A, <laughs> you put a chair down. She's like, I, I think I want it here, so I put it down. And she's like, Oh, will you move it like a little bit to the left? And I'm like. Okay. She's like, mm, hmm, let me think. Let me see. Maybe like a little bit back. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not. I'm <laughs> this not doing is where that. it goes. Well, I, I, I'll tell you that we moved two couches that I thrifted and yeah. it took like three guys, Josh and two of our friends, mm-hmm. and we could barely get them into the basement because these were couches I thrifted through the basement and they're both like pull out couches. Yeah. So they're so heavy and they were mad. And they couldn't do it and they had to take it down the basement like door oh, around the back. It was horrible. It was like a whole process. They had to take the bed out of it. As soon as they got them in there, yeah. I was like, maybe I only want one in yeah. here actually. And they were like, too bad. We're not mm-hmm. taking it back out. Like we're not messing with it anymore. Yeah, I would not, I wouldn't describe myself as having like a quick fuse. But once when the fuse goes, it's it's like no coming back from it. So when when I'm moving stuff, if I get frustrated because yeah. something won't fit, or if I'm hanging something and I get frustrated because like the measurement's wrong, it is like so hard for me to stay calm. Yeah, like just end the day. Like I'm and just like done. Undo it and then redo it. Yeah. Basically, like if it doesn't work on the first try, I'm like, nope, I'm done. This picture's never getting. There's hung. nothing like an We're argument not- when you're moving. Like oh. it's just there's nothing like it. No. No. Uh, oh my well, gosh. Well, we're 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 on our way. Yeah, I'm excited to uh 
I'm excited for for the invite when it finally. You can happens. see the first floor is what you're invited to yeah. <laughs> so far. Wait, what'd you say? What'd you say earlier this week that offended me when you talked about your your friend group? You said something about That's oh, so... I do this, I do this with my friends, and I was like, oh, interesting. You've never done that with me. Uh, we said in our friend group when it's uh, our friend's birthday in our friend group, we yeah. do dinner for them. That's our gift yeah, for them. Never is had, I made dinner. Never had dinner prepared for me. Well, you know, it's our friend group. I guess you we're know? just coworkers on yeah. this podcast. I didn't want to say not, it, not but... friends. <laughs> So anyways, Jackie, uh, you know. let's 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 get to work since we're just coworkers <laughs> to stop this useless banter about our personal lives since you obviously don't care about mine. All right. Uh so yeah. What we're going to do today is a little mm-hmm. bit different and this is something that I think a, a pattern that we're going to take forward a little bit where every month or so we'll take a break from the text and we'll talk about some kind of theme probably that's relevant to the text or some kind of broader theological principle. Yeah that we ran into in the text and expound upon that in an episode. And so that that gives us like a little bit of, of a break from just going chapter to chapter, but it also gives us a chance to explain and and some context and some of the broader implications. Yeah. And we've, we've gotten pretty far now. It's nice to look back and draw some bigger themes. Yeah. Because when you're in the text this closely, it's mm-hmm. hard to look at big themes sometimes, although we do try to call back to them, but it's nice to look at overall themes for sure. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about... Um, Jacob and Esau, mm-hmm. and the way that Paul uses this story to talk about Jews and Gentiles in the mm-hmm. early church. And so, um, instead of going on to the next chapter, which I believe is 34, overall, yeah. Genesis 34. About, yeah, I think yeah. so. We're, we're just going to take a break this chapter, and we're going to talk about this idea of Esau, Jacob, Jews, Gentiles, and mm-hmm. how that all fits together. And like, you know, another example would be, um, we, we <laughs> a while ago now, did Genesis 18, which yeah. was the hospitality of Abraham. Yeah. And so one thing that we could do is we could kind of refresh that story and talk about hospitality yeah. in the kingdom of God, right? Yeah, For the church, absolutely. which which is uh, perhaps the next thing that we'll do. We can also uh, start to maybe take some of these stories and talk about like things like um, the archaeological evidence mm-hmm. of Sodom and Gomorrah or something like that. Which right? is so, cool. Yeah. So uh, cool stuff. Th- that'll there. give, I think both the the people who listen mm-hmm. to this and us a little bit of a break from just going chapter to chapter, like commentary, mm-hmm. because it's not the only thing that we want this to be. Yeah. Right. We want people to be able to understand broader things from the Bible, yeah, not absolutely. just to, to yeah. read the Bible. Um, and so today, uh, we're, like I said, we're going to do Jacob and we're going to do Esau um, you want to give us a little bit of a of a recap of of where we left off? Yeah, so Esau and Jacob meet again for the first time in like twenty some years, right? Oh. And the last thing Esau said to Jacob was, "I'm going to kill you," right? Like that was the last kind of yeah, <laughs> that was the last contact they had because if you remember, Jacob, in a way, although we said it, the birthright really should have been his, mm-hmm. took Esau's birthright from him. Right. So Esau vows to kill him. Jacob runs away ends up staying a lot longer, gaining maybe another wife than he intended to in the process. And he comes back and he has to kind of walk back through Esau's territory to get to the promised land. Right. So Jacob, two episodes ago, we talked about kind of prepared for maybe this confrontation being like a, a death sentence, right? Maybe yeah. Esau is here to kill him. And what we saw last episode was Esau runs up to him and embraces him Yeah, and they make up. It was very sweet. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. And we, we kind of talked about how Jacob is intentionally undoing the very thing that Esau thought he was wronged in, right? Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and so, first of all, he offers him what is probably equivalent or, or close to equivalent of the inheritance from yeah. Isaac, right? He gives mm-hmm. him all these sheep and mm-hmm. all this stuff. And, and by telling uh, Esau that he has enough for himself, he's also kind of offering whatever's mm-hmm. left from, from Isaac. Yeah. Um, and so there's the material possessions, but then um, also in the blessing that Isaac gave to Jacob when he thought he was speaking to Esau, mm. he said that your brothers will bow down to you. Yeah. And so in this interaction, Jacob actually bows down to Esau. Right. And so he's kind of undoing, unwinding, reversing the quote unquote deceit that uh, took something from Esau. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, he's, he's reversing it. And so now uh, what, what we'll get into next time is that Jacob who walks with a limp Mm-hmm. has a wounded thigh mm-hmm. in, in more ways than one, as we talked about. It's headed into the promised land and there will be quite a debacle next week. Yeah. And we'll see the sons of Jacob, the sons of Israel, uh, you know, start to act in ways that are not what we would call wise, mm-hmm. not seeing good and evil the way that, that you know, they're going to have to if they're going to be the family uh, of, of the covenant. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I, But what I want to get to today, before we get to that, is I want to talk about a, a, a typically tricky to interpret text from Romans. Mm. And so in, uh, in Romans chapter nine, which if you know anything about the book of Romans, uh, Romans, I think it's like nine through 11 is really about Israel and mm-hmm. the Gentiles, right? Jews and Gentiles. Now the whole book is about Jews and Gentiles. Yeah. And actually the whole New Testament is about Jews and Gentiles, which we'll talk about here in a second. But there are these specific passages. And, and so this like nine through 11, somewhere in there is where Paul says that, you know, all of Israel will be saved. And, and so there's all these questions about what that means. And there's all these different interpretations, but there's a specific moment where when he's talking about this stuff, he mentions Jacob and Esau. Yeah. And he quotes a verse from Malachi mm-hmm. who, who mentions Jacob and Esau. And so why don't you read Romans 9, 10 through 13? Not only that, but Rebecca's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose and election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Yeah, so the older will serve the younger is actually a quotation from Genesis, mm-hmm. which we saw when uh, Rebecca was pregnant. Yeah. And then Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated is a quotation of Malachi. Mm-hmm. And in the Malachi passage, that's actually about uh, Jacob, who's Israel, and then who's Esau. Do you remember the nation that comes from Esau? Edom. 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 So Edom means red. Mm, yeah. And Jacob has a red complexion, mm-hmm. or uh, sorry, Esau has a red complexion and the whole thing with the mm-hmm. red stew, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, that's true. Uh, and technically Edom is in this place that's like, has like red mountains, right? Kind yeah. of like clay or I don't know if it's clay, but that, that color. Uh, and so those are the two things that are quoted in here. But this is, this is Paul in this passage in Romans talking about um, Israel and the Gentiles in context of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so this verse is important and it's important in the history of the church because it has to do with the church, which mm-hmm. is a makeup of these multi-ethnic group of people who come together in the Jewish Messiah. Mm -hmm. And so uh, most casual readers of the Bible and the New Testament, especially in our context and in our culture, they don't (laughs) know this and they don't realize this, but the crisis, the central crisis of the New Testament 
is about Jews and Gentiles coming together in Christ. Yeah. Um, let's say that you have a group of Jews who believe that Jesus is the Messiah and you have a group of Gentiles who believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Um, both believe, but how do they come together in community and live with one another? Yeah, it's hard for us to understand a question like this because even when you pose that question in our modern brains, we're like, we just worship. Like, who cares that you're yeah, different? Right. But like culturally, you have no idea how separated these two communities were. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, something that a lot of like Christians in our day don't even understand is that Jesus, when we call him Messiah, that's a Jewish title. Yeah. He's the Jewish king. He's the king of the Jews. Yeah. That's what he got crucified for claiming. That's what was written on the cross, yeah. right? And so there is there is this thing about, okay, he's the king of the Jews. The initial followers of Jesus were Jewish. Those were the apostles. So then when the Gentiles start to come to faith, mm-hmm. what's the procedure? Do they become, yeah, yeah. Jewish right. in every sense of the word? Right. Do they get circumcised? Right. Do they follow the food laws? Yeah. Right. And so it's a little bit different, but you can see similarities in the modern world mm-hmm. where even in the church, like, you know, you, you come to church, you confess faith in Jesus Christ, you get baptized in front of your church community, mm-hmm. and you commit yourself to the life of the church. Now, mm-hmm. how that gets enforced in the modern context is much, much different, which is what we're going to talk about here. And what yeah. the expectations are is different. But technically speaking, you know, at our church, if you consider... 514 church to be your home and you get baptized here and Mm -hmm. make your confession of faith in Jesus, you are expected to participate in the life of the church. Yeah, You're expected to be at church. You're expected to give Mm. to the church. You're expected to be in a community group Mm -hmm. so that you can live your life with a a group of people in Mm -hmm. who, who are all connected to the church. Um, and you're, and you're expected to serve the church. Yeah. So maybe that means serving on a team or maybe that means serving on one of our, uh, you know, service ministries that serves the broader community. But technically speaking, when we talk about church membership, what we're talking about is participation. Yeah, absolutely. And so that is a very mild form and which by the way, most people, when you really, if you really chase them on this stuff, they have a problem with it. Yes. Yeah. That's true. So like, if you have someone here, who's like a part of the life of your church, they don't go to your church it's not that the expectations have not been set clearly. It's that they don't want to. Yeah. Or they don't feel like they're in the position to. And if you actually chase them and, and be like, hey, you know, you said you were a part of this church. You're not giving. They would have a problem. They would probably leave the church. Yeah. So a very, very different context in yeah. terms of the voluntary nature of faith. Yeah, that's true. Right? Yeah. So in our context, as pastors, we have to lead knowing that people's commitment to the church is voluntary. Mm-hmm. Not true in this in this time. Oh yeah. For all of human history actually and until very recently. Faith was much more interconnected like you said in all of human history really up until about 100 or 200 years ago. Right. Really interconnected with everything else you did. Exactly. So it's not like oh I go to synagogue right. and then if I'm there, I'm there. If I'm not, I'm not. But the rest of my life is like, whatever. I didn't whatever. make it to synagogue this week. That's like, <laughs> there's no such <laughs> no. thing. Everybody's there at synagogue yeah. and they're praying I'm, at the same time. I'm taking and- a break from the food laws this week. <laughs> I'm going to give myself grace. <laughs> no, that wasn't a thing, yeah, right? Exactly. So, um, so, so both of these groups, Jews and Gentiles, coming yeah. together in the early church come from a, an entirely different way of life. Yeah. So the Gentiles are to some degree pagan, mm-hmm. right? Mostly 
in the stories that we see a part of the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, many of these um, non-Jewish followers of Jesus, at least in the early church, is what Jews called God-fearers. Mm. And so these were people who were intrigued by the Jewish faith and they might even believe that Yahweh is Lord, mm. um, but they had not come fully into the Jewish way of life. Yeah, You could be a, what's called a proselyte. Mm. And so you could become Jewish if you weren't. Some people think it's all about ethnicity, but that's, that's yeah. not true. Yeah, You could become Jewish, but what would you have to do if you wanted to become Jewish? You'd have to follow all their laws. Yeah, you got to get circumcised. As an adult. So if you're a 30-year-old yeah. man and you want to become a Jew, you got to be circumcised. Yeah. Uh, you have to follow the food laws. Mm-hmm. Um, you would have to follow the the Jewish sexual ethic, mm-hmm. which was very different than the Roman understanding of marriage and mm-hmm. and sex. You would have to participate in the Jewish sacrificial system, mm-hmm. and you would have to excuse yourself from the sacrificial system of the Roman mm-hmm. pantheon, the Roman gods. Yeah. And you would have to go through all of the things that the Jews went through in terms of ritual purity cleanliness, clean, unclean laws, yeah. all that stuff, right? And so the hesitancy for these God fears to become fully Jewish, I think is probably like two pronged. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, it's very inconvenient mm-hmm. to be circumcised. Yeah, <laughs> it's to very, say the least. It's very inconvenient to follow the food laws. Mm-hmm. Very inconvenient to remove yourself from the sexual norms of the Roman empire mm-hmm. and to be and to follow what, what the Jews believed about that. Very inconvenient to remove yourself from the sacrificial system of the Roman Empire. That was how a lot of meat actually got distributed to people, Mm -hmm. which is one of the reasons that it's talked about a lot in the New Testament because some of the churches were like, we know we're not supposed to sacrifice to idols, but that's how we used to get our food. Yeah. You would sacrifice and then you would eat the meal. Yeah. Um, And it was very inconvenient uh, to do like the clean and unclean laws. Yeah, absolutely. Right? I mean- Quite literally, you touch a dead body, you have to isolate and mm-hmm. go through a process for seven days, mm-hmm. however long. And so that's one, one, on one hand, it, was, it would be an inconvenient, quite a step to take, mm-hmm. to step into that. On, on the other hand, or, or, or secondly, uh, to actually become a Jew and to become enmeshed in their society would be a step down for Roman-born citizens in terms of status. Yeah. Right? So um, to be a Roman citizen either through birthright or military service, which is the two ways that you you could come into that, was very important. You had very different rights. Yeah. You remember how they like kind of switch up when Paul says that he's a Roman citizen? Right. When he's being tried, he's like, I'm a Roman citizen. And they're like, oh, we didn't know. Right. They let him go. Yeah. They're like, I so sorry. We didn't realize you were a Roman citizen. We thought you were just a Jew. Right. So we don't really do it like this necessarily. Um, Although it would be like if, you know, I was on, if I was on trial for a crime mm-hmm. and because I was Canadian, which I'm mm-hmm. not, but let's just pretend right, okay. because I was Canadian, there were like these different rules and I didn't mm-hmm. get due process. Yeah. And they were just kind of like, what do we do with this guy? He's kind of a rabble rouser. He's a foreigner. He's here, but whatever. And then I sit in front of the judge and I say, uh, my name is John McCambridge, a citizen of the United States of America, Columbus, Ohio, social security number, you know, just rattle it off. I'm not going to say it right yeah. now. Sorry, yeah, go guys. ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, not because I don't trust our audience, because I don't trust you, Jackie. Oh, yeah. I have my notes out. <laughs> and uh, and then all of a sudden, the judge is like, whoa, hold on. Hang he's on. A, he's a citizen. He's a citizen. Oh. We can't treat him like this. Yeah. So imagine that kind of deference 
yeah. in your everyday life mm-hmm. versus being, you know, a, a Jewish person under the thumb of the Roman under Empire. The they can treat you however of, they want. Yeah. It. You don't pay your taxes, you get, you know, you, you get killed. Yeah. Or you get stolen from. Yeah. Not true for Roman citizens. So yeah. uh, th- there's this thing. So there was this whole group of people at, at this time who were Roman citizens who were very intrigued by the Jewish way of life mm-hmm. and by the Jewish worship and participated to some degree, to the degree that they were allowed to without becoming uh, actually Jewish. Um, and so as the gospel starts to go out to the Jews and the Gentiles, there's two groups of people with entirely different ways of life that are all calling upon the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Messiah, mm-hmm. right? So you might, like you said earlier, Jack, you might be looking at this and be like, what's the problem? Yeah. Um, what we have to understand is that quote unquote religion was not, and quite frankly, never has been what we think of religion as being today. Absolutely not, yeah. So we think today that there's a way that Americans are supposed to live their life. And you live your life as an American and then privately you worship however you want, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Now, this is not actually true. Yeah. So this is false. This is the secular lie. Yeah. Um, But this is what almost everyone thinks about about religion, right? Um, uh, But more importantly, to the topic at hand, like no one has ever really conceived of faith or religion like that until very, very recently. Yeah. It's a very modern phenomenon of this idea of like, your faith is just one sphere of your life. Well, it makes much more sense yeah. for it to influence everything in your life if right. it's your worldview. It's right. more congruent with your, you know, your ideology to right. just live your entire life the way you think the world is set up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you want to get like extra spicy about it, I would say that most Christians are secular humanists who mm-hmm. go to church on Sundays and believe in a higher power that they call yeah. God. Yeah, right. That that's like the like when you say America is still largely Christian, that's that's actually what America largely is. Yeah. The idea that your faith in God is the container Mm -hmm. in which the rest of your life fits Mm -hmm. is very foreign to us. Yes, yeah. Uh, It's more like you have a container called life and in that container somewhere is faith. Whatever I have that allows me the time to go to church or whatever, that's how much religion I'll have in my life. Right. Yeah. And so we actually talk about something in this church quite often where we say that that your life is worship. Mm Mm-hmm. So worship is not just when you come to church and and praise God with song. It's not just when you take a moment and pray. Yeah, Your whole life is worship. And for most of human history, everyone was always entirely conscious of that. It's yeah. only now that we ha- kind of have to shake that cage mm-hmm. and let people under and, and try to get people to understand that. And so if you think about like what the Jewish way of life was, the food laws for Jews was not a private devotional practice for spiritual edification. Mm-hmm circumcision was not just a nice thing you did as a ceremony with your loved ones to make a statement Mm -hmm. and to make a Mm -hmm. promise. And sacrifice was not just something you did when you felt like it. These were all rhythms of your life Mm -hmm. that indicated your inclusion in a covenant with God. Yeah. And so you went to the temple or to the synagogue every week, maybe every day. 
and you did your sacrifices in a ritualistic, rhythmic way because that is that that is your life. That's your worship. Yeah. That's what it meant to be Jewish. Yeah. That's what it meant to be. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the Romans had had this same thing, right? The yeah. Roman, the Romans were doing this for their gods. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. we talk about the Roman Empire because of some of the things that they modernized, mm-hmm. as if the Roman Empire was like kind of like a secular thing. Mm-hmm. And then you had these people like the Jews who were still religious. That's not true. The Romans were just as religious as the Jews. They yeah. just worshiped different gods yeah. and had different systems for, yeah. for how they did that. And so all of life is, is worship. And so uh, here's where the problem is. Once two people with completely different ways of life believe that Jesus is Lord and Messiah, how should they live now? Mm-hmm. They've both confessed the thing that you must confess to have eternal life. Eternal life starts now. How are they supposed to live? Mm-hmm. And so here's what I always like to, to, to tell people. Um, the, because Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, mm-hmm. the King of the Jews, I actually think it would make more quote unquote logical sense for the outsiders, the Gentiles to be asked to come into the Jewish way of life. Yeah. So there's this whole group of people, and this is who Paul is so mad at in the book of Galatians Mm -hmm. and the book of Romans, Mm -hmm. and you see it in Acts at the Jerusalem Council. Like this is Paul's, this is part of Paul's thing, right? up, yeah. There's a group of people who say, it's not, it's not, okay, so we'll get to this in a second. What there's, what this group of people is saying is that, okay, these Gentiles are confessing faith Mm -hmm. in Christ. That's great. They need to be circumcised. Mm -hmm. They need to follow the food laws. They need to follow the Torah. Mm-hmm. They need to come into the Jewish way of life in order to worship the Jewish king. They need to participate in the covenant. They need to participate yeah. in the covenant. And so what 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 happens is that Peter and Paul start to go to these places, preach mm-hmm. the gospel, mm-hmm. and the spirit of God descends upon the Gentiles. Yeah, they see it happen. They're uh, astonished. And they get baptized yeah. and they're not following the food laws. Mm-hmm. And they're not they're not circumcised. And so that's why they come back to the Jerusalem Council and have this this whole um, th- this whole conversation about what are we supposed to do with these Gentiles who are coming to faith. There's a group of people who think they need to become Jewish, and there's a party led by Paul and Peter who believe that they don't. Yeah. That something new has happened. Well, because they already received the Holy Spirit. They received. The it's Spirit. not like well they should do all these things and then maybe they'll receive the right. Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's there. Exactly. Yeah. Um. And so it's it's a little bit more complicated than this. And mm-hmm. we will, at some point in this podcast, get to what does it mean that the law is not abolished, mm-hmm. but it's fulfilled? fulfilled. Yeah. Because that's very important. Mm-hmm. Most people, uh, uh, when Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law, I've come to fulfill the law. They they interpret that as Jesus saying, I have not come to abolish the law, I've come to abolish the law. Yeah, they, it's the same word right. in their head. But yeah. it's not true. To fulfill the law is yeah. very different. And that's why there are some Old Testament laws that we still follow today. Yeah. They might look different in our practice, uh, but, but we still follow them. So uh, that has to do with this section. But I want to read, this is the letter. Because, so, so, so what I'm saying is that I think it makes more sense for them to say, if a Gentile wants to follow the Jewish king, he has to become Jewish. The Jerusalem council comes to the completely opposite conclusion. And so they send this letter mm-hmm. in Acts 15. And so I don't want you read this uh, Acts 15, 23 through 29. With them, they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, 
to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Sicilia, greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seems good that the Holy Spirit and or it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. Yeah, so this is the conclusion they come mm-hmm. to. This is the letter they send, and this is what the early church bases the Gentile uh, adoption upon. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I actually think this is quite stunning because this is the conclusion. And mm-hmm. it, it, it's a little bit more detailed than what he says, but basically what he says is besides idolatry and sexual immorality, uh, which sexual immorality is basically Leviticus 18, mm-hmm. uh, these two sins in the Old Testament like stain and pollute the collective. Mm-hmm. Okay. So not all sin was looked at like that, mm-hmm. but those are the two chief sins of the Old mm-hmm. Testament, idolatry and sexual immorality. Besides those two things, you don't have to enter into the Jewish way of life and mm-hmm. worship. No circumcision, no food laws, no sacrifice, etc. So would you say they're making the distinction between like sin laws and clean and unclean laws? I think, I think that there's a whole thing about how the things that they're basically saying you don't have to do were fulfilled or transfigured in Christ. Mm, mm-hmm. So when I say you don't have to participate in the sacrificial system, right? technically we today still do participate in the sacrificial system. Every time we look at the cross, Mm -hmm. every time we take communion, Mm -hmm. uh, we are participating in the once and for all eternal ongoing sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Why we say he fulfilled the law. So that's what I mean. So if the law was abolished, then we wouldn't have to do sacrifice. Yeah. But we do sacrifice. Mm -hmm. We don't cut animals' throats and sprinkle their blood but we eat the body and blood of Christ Mm -hmm. and we look at the cross and participate in our lives in his eternal sacrifice. And that's what Hebrews talks about. And so the reason I think that we as Christians don't participate in a sacrificial system is because to do so would be to deny that Christ fulfilled that Mm -hmm. foreshadowing. To kill an animal was to foreshadow what Christ was going to do once Mm -hmm. and for all. And so if you keep up with that sacrifice, then you're denying the efficacious nature mm-hmm. of the sacrifice of mm-hmm. Christ, right? Um, um, I'm trying to think of maybe another example, circumcision. Yeah. So we don't get circumcised, mm-hmm. but we do get baptized. Mm-hmm. Which is circumcision of the heart, correct? Which is circumcision of the heart, yeah. which is, this, it's not just a symbol. Like this is one of the things that we struggle with. Like, you know, that's kind of why we're, one of the reasons we're doing this podcast is like to participate in the, to participate symbolically in in something like a covenant is not to say that you're not actually participating in something. Because a symbol always is <laughs> symbolic real. of something, right? Symbols are real. Yeah. And symbols mean something. Yeah. And I believe that symbols and ritual stirs the heavens. Yeah. So when you get baptized, that's not just a sometimes, and, and we say this sometimes as a church. And so we just have to be careful it's not just a public declaration of an inward mm-hmm. decision. It is that. Mm-hmm. It's also something that you're doing ritualistically in front of your church. And in that moment that you go under the waters and you come out of the waters, that does not mechanistically save you, but that participation stirs the heavens. Mm-hmm. It, is, it, it punches holes 
in the separation between heaven mm-hmm. and earth, right? Mm-hmm. And the same with the Lord's Supper. Yeah, That's not just the thing that we come together and do as a remembrance of Jesus. That's mm-hmm. part of it. Mm-hmm. But when we eat the blood and, and body of Christ as a church body, we're, we're, we're punching holes in, in the veil that separates heaven and mm-hmm. earth, right? We're doing something that stirs the heart of God, that participates with the angels and with the saints. Yeah. And, um, and so it's, it's, you know, it's, it's more than that. And, and it always has been. Okay. So, um, that's the decision that they come to. Yeah. Right. That you actually like, you don't have to go and follow the law of Moses. Right. It's different now. Yeah. So here's what you have to do. No idolatry, no sexual immorality. No, no, yep. Yeah. And then of course there was a way that Christians were worshiping through the Lord's supper and coming mm-hmm. together on the Lord's day mm-hmm. rather than the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. It was a change from Jewish. So, so there's things like that. But um, why I get into all of that and why I think that's important before we get into the rest of the passage about Jacob and Esau uh, is because uh, in our in our modern Western Protestant strand of theology, we have a tendency to think that the tension that we read about in something like the book of Galatians, where Paul is just going off, <laughs> is that what Paul is upset about is works versus grace. Mm. Are we saved by like the things that we do or are we saved by the grace of God, right? Like, can we earn our way to salvation mm-hmm. or are we simply saved by, by the grace of God? And I actually think this is a fine distinction to make because there's something inside of us that wants to earn everything. Yeah. And so definitely like there's this moment where we, where you, you're living a life, you're trying to live a life for God and you fall into sin and you wonder if your status has changed because of that sin. And it's important for us to understand that there is something holistic about the act of Jesus that that has placed us into the heavenly realms, not because of something that we've done, but because of of what he has done. Yeah. And some of the stuff like around the Reformation that the Catholic Church was teaching and preaching was very much kind of what I would call a works-based mm-hmm. salvation doctrine. And that's what Martin Luther and John Calvin and stuff were were really rebelling against mm-hmm. and we're, we're juxtaposing. Um, but, but of course, you know, we've talked about this in our church uh, numerous times, your ability to do good works can't save you right? because your ability to do good works is only uh, that in and of itself is a product of the grace of God. Yeah. Like your yeah. life is grace. Yeah. Creation is grace. Existence is grace. Right. It's grace as, as you like to make fun it's of grace me all, and the say, way down. all the way down. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, if if you if you know people who think they have to earn their salvation, then fine. You can have that discussion. You can clarify the, uh, the difference between grace mm-hmm. and works and earning and all of that. But you do have to understand as a Bible reader that that is not the conversation that Paul is having. Yeah. They are not arguing over whether or not you can be saved by being a good person and doing yeah. the right things or if you're only saved by grace. They're arguing about works of the law. Yeah, they're both already saved by grace. Yes, and then they're like, well, then how should we live? Exactly. They're arguing with the law. So so do the Gentiles have to do the works of the law and become Jewish in ritual practice and worship in order to accept Jesus as the Messiah? Mm-hmm. And so it's much more about things like circumcision mm-hmm. and food laws mm-hmm. than it is about good deeds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, it's true that we're not saved by our good deeds. And there are people who struggle with that. We should be able to have that conversation with them, but that's not what Paul's yelling at the Galatians about. Yeah. Yep. He's yet. That's why at one point in the Galatians, he says, you know, if he's talking about circumcision. And so he says, if you're going to do that, just cut the whole thing off. 
right? Yeah. That's not about good works. That's yeah. about circumcision, right? Yeah. That's about the the Jewish law yeah. and the boundary markers of what it means to be Jewish and and this this letter that was sent from from the Jerusalem Council mm-hmm. to the Gentile churches and the fact that people were backsliding on that. Mm-hmm. So this is the tension in the the first century church, including the church in Rome, which is who Paul writes the letter to that we call Romans. Mm-hmm. And so um, the, 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 the Christian movement is marked by the fact that both Jewish and Gentiles in terms of background are new followers of Jesus. And in the late 40s AD, the Roman emperor Claudius expels the Jews from Rome. Mm-hmm. So there's a Christian church in Rome, mm-hmm. right? Which is made up of these Jews and Gentiles and it's very early on. Well, uh, um, the details of this are somewhat hazy, but usually the reason that the Jews would get in trouble is because they don't participate in the sacrificial system of the Roman empire. Yeah. They don't appease the Roman gods. Yeah. And so if something bad happens and the Romans think that it's a judgment of God, who do they blame? The Jews who weren't participating yeah, in the worship. Yeah, you guys weren't participating yeah. in it. So if you're not going to participate, get yeah. out. Which is another great example of why Rome really wasn't a secular society. Not at all. It, they, if they really didn't believe or care about that right. stuff, if it was just like, ah, oh, we've got these like mascots, they wouldn't take actions mm. like this. Yeah. So it's like something bad has happened. You guys aren't appeasing the gods. You, you the guys way aren't that you in should. line with us. It's your fault, probably. And, and so, so you have to, so you have to leave. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and they would do this, you know, kind of in order to keep the peace. Mm -hmm. And so this expulsion of the Jews in the late forties lasted for several years. And then eventually the Jews are allowed to return. Mm -hmm. So then what this does is it kind of flips the script of what was usually happening where the Gentiles were coming in to a Jewish context of worship. Mm -hmm. Now the Jews have left the Gentile Christians have their church in Rome Mm-hmm. And when the Jews come back into the city, the Jews now are coming into the Gentile context mm-hmm. of of worship, right? And so this is what most of the letter of Romans is is about. How are these Jewish Christians reincorporated into the the, the Christian church? That since the expulsion is mainly Gentile in background, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so it, this is an important point to make because a lot of times we act like Romans is kind of a theological tome. Mm-hmm. And because there's a lot of good theology in it, but that's yeah. not what Paul's doing. You know, they knew how to write theological treatises. Mm-hmm. This is a letter. Mm-hmm. And so this is an occasional letter. And the primary purpose is addressing the peaceable reintegration of Christians from Jewish background yeah. back into mm-hmm. a, a Christian church that is now mostly Gentile and making it a single community. You know, the last thing that Paul is interested in is having Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. Yeah. He is obsessed with the dividing wall of hostility being torn down yeah. and Jews and Gentiles coming back together. And part of the reason that that's true is what's the, what's the end of the Abrahamic promise? That all nations will be blessed through the, the one nation. Yeah. And so that blessing is, re, is incorporation, mm-hmm. right? And so the tension between uh, Christians and, uh, with Jewish and Gentile backgrounds um, points to something that that Paul talks about a lot and uh, uh, mentioned several times in the book of Acts, talks about a lot in his letters, that although Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, the fulfillment of God's plan for the Jews and the, the final long-awaited king of the Jews, the majority of the Jewish community in the places where Paul preaches do not accept Jesus as Messiah. Yes, yeah. This, I think, causes Paul to have a, like a mental like break. Yeah. He's Jewish. And he, at one point, was 
the Jewish opposition to right. Christian Jews. So it's his people yeah. that are rejecting the, the Messiahship. And so in Paul's perspective, it's his people who are rejecting salvation. Mm-hmm. And so Paul uh, preaches to the in the synagogues everywhere he goes. He goes mm-hmm. to the synagogues first, mm-hmm. preaches Jesus yes. as the Jewish Messiah, tends to be rejected, then goes to the Gentiles, and they tend to accept it. Which has to be frustrating for him because as a Jewish person, he's like, don't you, like, this is what we've been hearing about our whole lives. Right. These Gentiles don't even know the Torah. They don't even know the the prophecies and they're accepting and you're not. Yeah. So this is speculation, but I think that when Paul calls himself the apostle to the Gentiles, it's almost like, Seems like I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. Because none of you guys will believe. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't necessarily think that's like a celebratory thing. Like, Yeah. It's not he, like he wasn't trying with the Jews. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, how are we to understand that God's own people have by and large rejected mm-hmm. the Messiah, but many more of the Gentiles have accepted him? And so, this is part of what Paul's talking about in Romans 9. And this is why he talks about, like, what happens with the Jews who haven't believed, mm-hmm. right? And that's what a lot of this is about. And so in the passage that you read from Romans 9 at the very beginning, Paul quotes first Genesis 25, 23, the older shall serve the younger. Yeah. And so we talked about this when we went to the chapter, but this was a moment that was representative of what I will call God's reversal of norms mm-hmm. because the firstborn inherits the father's estate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but over and over in, in the Old Testament, we see the promises of God go through a different son, Mm -hmm. a son that's not the firstborn. Mm -hmm. And so this was true of Jacob too. Jacob was the second son. Mm -hmm. Esau is the oldest. And so Paul says this because he is also kind of reversing the norm and changing the expectations Mm -hmm. because of the context in Rome. Uh, He says, Jacob, I have loved Esau. I have hated. And the most natural analogy uh, to, or the most natural way to read that analogy would be to say that Israel is Jacob because Mm -hmm. Jacob is literally named Israel. Mm. and that the Gentiles are Esau Mm -hmm. uh, because Esau became Edom, which was ended up being a Gentile thing, right? But Paul actually reverses this, Mm -hmm. and he says that the believing Gentiles are Jacob, Mm. and the the unbelieving Jews are Esau. Mm -hmm. Now, why would he make that? Why would he make that connection? Mm. Firstborn, secondborn. Because Esau was their first. First, I mean, yeah. he was the firstborn. And so were the Jews. Absolutely. They're God's people, yeah. his firstborn son. But, um, uh, and so the Jews were God's firstborn like Esau, but they rejected the promise because they rejected the Messiah, just like. Mm, just like the Jews. Just like Esau. Yeah. The Jews did, just like Esau, right? And so um, the Gentiles then are the younger son who through faith are given the promise, mm-hmm. like Jacob. Mm-hmm. Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. And so Esau was the firstborn like the nation of Israel, the rightful recipients of the promises that God made to Abraham and Isaac. But Paul argued earlier in the letter that that Abraham was only ever given these promises because of faith. Yes, yeah. Right? And so we talked about this. Why was Abraham reckoned righteous? Because he believed. Because he believed. Yeah. And uh, what was basically like, what was the outcome of his belief? Mm. He went. Yeah, he did stuff. He went, yeah. I mean, God said, hey, go from your homeland and go to this place and just believe me. And so he was like, okay. Yeah, I'll pack it up right now. Yeah, that's faith. Yeah. Faith is not like God appeared to him and said, you know, go do this thing. 
I'm the God who is, you know, the God, I'm, I'm Yahweh. And then, and then Abraham was like, I believe in you. But I'm probably going to stay where I'm at. Yeah. <laughs> but I believe in you though. Yeah, no. Yeah. He goes, right? And so, um, um, that has, so one of the things that Paul argues is that that's always been how God's promises come to fruition yeah. through faith, mm-hmm. not blood, mm-hmm. not lineage, mm-hmm. not being the firstborn, mm-hmm. but through faith. Um, and so the promise was never based on birth order or bloodline. It was over and over and over based on faith. And so the story of Esau's early life was one of unfaithfulness. Mm-hmm. He takes multiple Hittite wives, mm-hmm. grieves his parents, mm-hmm considers the promises of God, which is the covenant itself to be of such little value that he sells it for a bowl of soup, Mm -hmm. which we talked extensively about. So why doesn't Esau get the promises? Mm. He's he's not faithful. Doesn't have faith. Yeah. And so faith is not just to believe and believe in such, it is to believe in such a way that your life is like reoriented, you know? And so Esau did not believe because of all the things that we just mentioned. Yeah, it was clear it didn't affect his life. Right. So he was the firstborn. Mm-hmm. He was the rightful one in line for the in, for the inheritance, but because of the family that he comes from, the inheritance is God's inheritance. Yeah. And God's inheritance goes to the faithful, not mm-hmm. the firstborn. Mm-hmm. And so you see here the analogy, right? Israel is the firstborn. They're the promised recipients of the promise, mm-hmm. but what is required? Faith. Yeah. Same as always, same as all the way since Abraham. Mm-hmm. And so what is the status of unbelieving Jews at the moment that Paul writes this? Yeah, they're faithless. They're faithless, right? Um, they're without faith, just like Esau. Mm-hmm. And so that's why he switches it and says that Jacob is actually the Gentiles, mm-hmm. the second born who have faith. Mm-hmm. And Esau is the Jews who are rejecting the Messiah, the firstborn yeah. in line for the promises, but without faith, not the recipients of mm-hmm. the promise. And so we just read, now this is where it gets interesting, right? Because now the question is, so what happens to the Jews? Yeah. And what happens to the Gentiles? Uh, what we just read and what we recapped at the beginning of this episode was a story of Esau being reconciled to Jacob. Mm-hmm. And that too is part of, I think, what Paul is unpacking by using this story as, as an example, because you have to remember that Paul doesn't proof text. So when he says something about Jacob and Esau, his assumption is that you know deeply the story of Jacob and Esau. Yeah. He's not just saying, hey, here's a verse from Malachi. Yeah. Check this out. He's saying Jacob and Esau, and what better go off in your mind is all the stuff that you and I just went through over the last 10 weeks. And for people who studied the Bible at that time, they did know stuff like that. Yeah. And they did know stuff in that way. Um, And so in this story, Esau goes and he lives around Mount Sire right? Mm-hmm. Which is what we talked mm-hmm. about last episode. And this is where he comes from when he meets Jacob. And as you read on, you will see that Esau and some of the descendants of Ishmael actually drive out the inhabitants of the land mm-hmm. where he's staying and it becomes Edom, mm-hmm. which is named after, we said, Esau's red complexion, maybe a little bit of his red soup, <laughs> maybe both. And so uh, um, God eventually you know, tells the wandering Israelites in Deuteronomy 2.5 that they are not to attack the Edomites because he's not going to give to Israel a foot of their land. Mm-hmm. And this is because in a couple of verses later, Deuteronomy 2.8, the Edomites are the Israelites' brothers, mm-hmm. right? Just like Jacob and Esau, mm-hmm. brothers, 
the descendants of both are brothers. And so what you're going to see in the biblical story going forward is that there will be strife. Mm-hmm. Edom as a nation is actually going to be judged. And this is when Malachi, why Malachi quotes Jacob and Esau, mm-hmm. not in the reverse way that Paul does, but in the way that we would think of yeah. Israel and Edom. It's because uh, when uh, Judah gets gets destroyed by Babylon, the Edomites not only don't come to their brother's aid, but they gloat in their yes. defeat. Yeah. Right. And so remember that Jacob and Esau scuffled in their early life too. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, scuffles a nice way to put it. Yeah, Esau said he was going to kill him. Yeah. And Jacob ran away from him in terror for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And so here's the key. Here's one of the keys to Paul's analogy. The end of the story that we just read, there was reconciliation between the brothers. Mm-hmm. Right. Instead of killing Jacob, Esau embraces him, kisses him, forgives him, and is reconciled to him. Mm-hmm. There's actually nothing to suggest that Esau is a wicked man anymore. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to suggest that Esau is still faithless. Mm-hmm. The only thing that's shown to us about Esau at this time in his life is that he reconciles with his brother. Yeah. And the brothers who had been torn apart in strife come back together mm-hmm. in reconciliation. And so Paul uses a very complex uh, for us, but highly effective metaphor to talk about what's happening in the Roman church, yeah, Jews and Gentiles, right? Mm-hmm. Since Jews are the firstborn, uh, they're in line to receive the promises of God. But just like always, all the way since Abraham, the promises come to the faithful, mm-hmm. not according to birth order. And so the Jews who reject Jesus are like Esau, the firstborn who have despised their birthright. Uh, And like Esau, this rejection of the promises of God by lack of faith sends the blessings to the younger brother, Mm. uh, who was Jacob in the story, but is the Gentile believers in the early church. And yet, just like in the story of Jacob and Esau, reconciliation is possible. Mm -hmm. And so that's why Paul goes to his grave believing that the Jews will be saved. Mm -hmm. Because all they have to do is put their faith in Jesus. Yeah. Right? all of Israel will be saved when they put their faith in the Messiah, mm-hmm. right? That's what Paul mm-hmm. believes. And you can imagine that he has seen people do this in his missionary life. And so he can imagine it happening, yeah. right? And he holds that hope very and it strongly. Happened to him. It happened to him. Um, and, uh, you know, as much as it, the gospel spread to the Gentiles, the movement was Jewish at the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. So the core pillars of the church in the life of Christ were Jewish. And um, so he's seen it happen and he holds out hope that it can happen again. And he uses as a point of reference for his hope, the fact that it happened with Esau and Jacob, Mm -hmm. they were reconciled. And the end of that story is um, beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's like a happy ending, Mm -hmm. even though there was strife and conflict in the middle Mm -hmm. of it. And so Paul kind of puts himself, I think, in the analogy, he puts the, that moment of time in that time where Jacob and Esau are estranged, the firstborn and secondborn, but that there is a possibility of them coming back mm-hmm. together, yeah. right? Um, and so uh, a lot of times when we talk about the, the New Testament passages about Jews and Gentiles, we, we want to know like, well, what's the status of this group of people? Mm-hmm. But but for Christians, you know, it's actually pretty simple. Yeah, the status is depends on what 
on whether or not you put your faith and give your allegiance to Jesus Christ, yeah. the Messiah. Is Jesus your king? And so if you're Jewish, yeah, you're the firstborn. And so if you put your faith in the Messiah, then then you yeah. come into the you come into the family as it always was supposed to be. Yeah. If you're a Gentile and you were never a part of that story in terms of blood and history, now you put your faith in Jesus, you're grafted mm -hmm. into the family. For real. Yeah. And so this is something we often get confused too as Christians, you know, Abraham's our ancestor, mm -hmm. even though I don't have a Jewish background. Yeah. Right? Abraham's my ancestor. The mm -hmm. people who crossed the Red Sea are my ancestor by adoption. Mm -hmm. Right? By the by the grafting in. Um and and so the answer to that question is oftentimes pretty simple. We don't we don't love the answer to that question. I'm not even sure if it's like considered politically correct to have mm -hmm. that theology. Uh, but that is absolutely the classical Christian mm -hmm. theology of salvation is faith in Christ. And that's what Paul says. Yeah. Right. That's why, that's why Paul uses the example of Abraham where he says, you know, Abraham was the first of the nation and he was only ever the covenant partner of God because of faith. Mm -hmm. And then he had Isaac who was not the firstborn. Right. Right. And then Isaac had Esau and Jacob. And the promises went to Jacob, not because God decided, you know what, I'm going to go through the second born. But in that moment, because Esau didn't have faith mm -hmm. and the promises go to the faithful. And so this is like what Paul is getting into in, uh, in Romans here. And that's why he uses the passage from Malachi and reverses it and puts the Gentiles in the second born spot of Jacob mm -hmm. and the, Isra the, the Israelites who have not put their faith in Christ in the firstborn position. Yeah. Um, and so some of the context is important because, you know, you could imagine that, that for Paul, this was not a theological conundrum. This was friends, family, his people. He's trying to figure out how is this, how does this work? Mm -hmm. And so what the conclusion that he comes to is just like it's always been, it works by faith. And because of that, reconciliation is always possible. And all my, you know, what he would say, all my lost brothers and sisters who have rejected Jesus can at any moment turn to him. Mm -hmm. And the thing that we saw with Jacob and Esau can happen yeah. now. And we read that today and we say the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. About everybody who hasn't put their faith in Jesus yet. Just one moment away, right? Always. Mm -hmm. And so next week, we'll go back into the, 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 the book of Genesis. We'll do Genesis 34, uh, action-packed episodes next week. Crazy stuff, yeah. Um, uh, and then uh, we'll, we'll keep going in the story. Keep cranking to Genesis. Mm -hmm. You got anything else? I think that's it. All good? Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you for listening, and we'll see you guys next week on Story Simple Spirit. <laughs>